three, two, one. Woo! Good day, y'all. Welcome to the Curious Observer Podcast, exploring thoughts with El Combo, Hector Combo, a good friend of mine from way back in Laredo. I would say, I think the first time we met was during the MySpace era, as we're watching the Facebook era is in question. We met through the, the, My, the MySpace era. And I remember taking note of you because you were exploring your thoughts in, in a way that resonated with me. I don't remember what exactly it was. And especially because uh, we had a mutual connection. That was my cousin. So that's, uh, that's how we met. That's, uh, this is Hector, a father of a lovely daughter, journalist, activist. And for as long as I, I've, I've known you, man, you've always advocated for thinking for oneself. And I welcome you to share more about yourself. Yeah, I definitely remember that connection of the old MySpace. I think the, the connection lies in that we're looking outside of the box. And, you know, when you're a person who thinks outside of the box, a lot of the people in general, they think that you are idealistic and a little bit nuts. And one thing that I've learned is that most authority figures, whether they're in science, religion, government especially, they are more about their self-interest. And so if I am trying to recall the content that attracted you to my persona, uh, the way of looking at the world and how we publicize it when we speak, you know, I think that's what I remember most. You know, you were also a curious observer. And I think that's the important part about looking at the world is without any attached label. And now, you know, as a diff I'm in a different transition in my life because every two or three years, every five years, every 10 years, we all go through different transitional cycles. And today, you know, I'm reevaluating a lot of the things that I've committed myself to. And, you know, what qualifies me to be a journalist? In other words, people would say, well, you have to go to school, you have to go get a college degree, and you have to get verified by the established media. And that's how you are a real journalist. And that's how people think of journalism. However, for me, what journalism meant was going out to hear, hear, see, smell, and feel the story with my own heart, my own eyes, and with Ferguson, with all these other uh, demonstrations and riots against, uh, demonstrations and riots. There's, I'm not saying one or the other. In places like in Baltimore and in other places, not you know, one or two, they're not necessarily going to be the whole coverage of my journalism, but it attracted me. And even in our own backyard in Laredo, Texas, people might remember this story very well. The mentally ill man who was murdered by the police and they shot him 80 times. Hello and welcome. This is Hector Cubillos from Laredo, Texas, and I'm reporting on the recent incident. On Saturday, there was an individual who, according to our sources and our latest revelations, apparently was mentally ill and was drunk with his headphones on, so he had no idea where his surroundings were really. He was drunk and out of touch with reality. So the events unfolded at 1.45 a.m. where the police arrived and shot him down several times with AR-15. We reported on the scene and we counted at least 20 bullet holes. We talked to one of the main witnesses who released the video the video surveillance footage and he informed us that the family had contacted him and told him that he was in fact a mentally ill person who was really 
liked to hang out at truck stops and because he liked to hang out with truckers. That was the explanation as to why he was there. He had an encounter previously to the police with a security guard and that security guard begged him to leave or ordered him to leave the premise. He noticed, the security guard, that the mentally ill person had a BB gun with him and not a real weapon. So that was informed to the police, that was an information that was relayed to the police and they were told previous to their arrival. And now you can look at the video surveillance footage and you could see a man shot into the frame of the camera and several dozen, several dozen bullets being riddled through his body. And it was a very, very gruesome, morbid thing. The camera doesn't show it, but the body laid there for a very long time, five hours at least, until the 7 or 6 a.m. in the morning. And the body laid handcuffed, restrained. It seemed like there was no moral dignity for human, humanity. There was no integrity. In fact, it was a big show for these great hunters who just killed an, an apparently innocent man, since that is something that we should emphasize. This man was not processed under the law. He was executed by persons who were glad to do it. And that's a really concerning thing. So please, without further ado, join our conversation and speak out. There is a lot of things that we can work on, a lot of things that we can speak about, but the very first thing that we have to do is actually speak and open the conversation. That is the basis of our civilized society. Without a debate, we're just going to have the official narrative overtake us. The internal department of the Laredo Police is already cooking up their justification or of what really happened. But before they do that, we need to ensure that they know that this is not a acceptable behavior from our servants, which is what they are, our servants. Thank you very much for your time, and please speak up. That's one very heartbreaking story, you know, and I forget the details because it's just after such a long time of covering the patterns of corruption and tyrannical overthrow of, you know, civil society, you start looking at it like, damn, we're all really just sort of the same and we're comfortable creatures. And we're, we don't challenge ourselves. So, you know, that's how I consider myself as a journalist. Long story short, after challenging my preconceived notions of the world and actually experimenting with my mind, body, and spirit in all forms, I realized that even with the people who are very freedom-minded, they also fall in traps. And that's what I find a lot of the time is that you might feel good and you might go out there, demonstrate a right, but ultimately, in the big picture, we're just reliving same old cycles in the past. And if we're really going to wake up and transition into something bigger, we have to think outside of the box. Again, going back to the motif of being a curious observer, looking outside of the box, because that's really where the solutions lie in. I think that's where you're coming from too, right, Rick? I, You know, I think uh, I certainly don't have the background of going to you know, see things for myself, tasting things for myself. And, and that's, and, but, but watching you have done that certainly made me curious, like what, what could, what, what kind of situations have to be where one can find themselves so convicted in such uh, through, 
through such situations. And one uh, one thing that comes to mind when I say that is I never forget. I don't re- recall the details of what the situation was that was being displayed on live television, but it was of yourself and <laughs> essentially raising points to Laredo city officials uh, on live television. And it was, it was in front of a, a board uh, and there was a lot of, uh, Oh wow. He's, he's calling me out. And, and would you, would you, would you share a little bit about that? Uh, recall that memory. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of situations where your convictions are challenged by the individuals that are in conflict with who you are. And I know that sounds kind of controversial, but uh, let's just step back for myself personally. My bias is universal freedom. I think we shouldn't have a society where we coerce each other and there is no choice in what you want to do. And so there's politicians that come to Laredo or just in general, the politicians in Laredo, they've accustomed themselves to being beholden to their power, to their self-interest and not to the general public, to the people. And so they get away with a lot. But the best way to really start showing the world or just your local neighborhood that they're not really all in control and that they don't know it all, that they're just kind of improvising and going along the way, is by asking tough questions, challenging questions. Do you think that's the nature of a, say, a larger city versus small towns? No, I think that's just in general the the tribalism and the psychology of humanity today. We've been programmed to accept a lot of things that, you know, we take for granted as being myths. And I think that's what somehow excuses a lot of behavior, you know, because I've lived in different different places, travel travel in different areas of the country. And I'll tell you, mostly in the East Coast and around that area and going to the Southwest, people are the same everywhere you go. It's a big city. They'll have small minded mentality. You go to a small city, you'll, you'll have small-minded, mush people who don't really care. So, you know, I live in a small town, and it's sort of the same that way Just for here. clarification, uh, can you help me understand what you mean by uh, uh, mush? And can you help me unpack that? Sure, definitely. Mush in, has no real identity. It's just something, it's a hodgepodge of different things. You go, people who go with the wind, you know, they don't have an individual drive to understand things for themselves. They just take things for granted at a face value. So their personality or their self-actualization is hindered. And in a way, they are in arrested development because they just follow along with the trends. And while having fun and being part of a group is good, but when you have a group of neurotic people who are fantasizing about things that are just in, in ideals, stories, you know, then you're not capable of understanding the real world. It's a real complicated of answering your questions, but if I could say what a mush personality is, mm. is someone who doesn't have an individual drive to be themselves. That's just about it. And, you know, there's a lot of debate behind this if it's positive or productive to say, well, look, we shouldn't all just be about entertainment. We shouldn't all just be about having a good time. Because I think there's this idea in people who are naive and lack the wisdom of understanding life as it is that it's not just fun and games. And when we listen to a lot of stories, when we play a lot of games, our mind becomes mush. There's actual psychological studies done behind you know, video game addiction, porn addiction, internet, internet addiction, phone addiction. All these things are one way or the other. Alcoholism, depends on what, yeah. 
yeah, alcoholism, any ism, any substance, any practice, any habit, it's just, it could become an addiction. It's a substance coping de- a device. Yeah, yeah, mind, I mean, mind trance, you know, and we're feeding a ghost. We're just feeding ourselves our endless desires. And it goes back to the idea of what life is all about. You know, life, what do you think it is? You know, what it is to be, a, what do you think it means to be a friend? And what do you think it means to be a man or a woman or whatever individual brand of being you want to be? What does it mean? What is the purpose? I think in general, why I say mush is because mush could be molded to whatever the wind goes, whatever people say. So, okay, if you have people on the left, well, you have to be atheist, scientific, and you have to be communist minded. You know, if you really want to be with the hardcore kids. If you want to be right wing, you have to be conservative, traditionalist, and you must, you know, worship the flag and be very patriotic and serve your country. So these are buzzwords that a lot of politicians use because they work. People have a general idea of what they think other people should be, but they usually don't have an idea of what they should be in the moment. So I hope mm. that answers your question. Certainly. And, you know, before before we further unpack, because I feel there's a lot of momentum and I know anyone listening are like, whoa, I feel like we just launched. And, you know, let's let's take it back a little bit from where where are you from? I know I think you've mentioned this with me before. Are you are you're not from your you came into you're from Mexico, right? Is that right? And right. You came into. Can you tell me? Can you share that story? On Definitely. How came into the United States uh, as how old were you? I was eight and I came by here in 1999 and I was in a second grade, I think, you know, if time is foggy, so the details can be great, but this is a factual story. I mean, this is really what happened to me. You know, I grew up in Mexico and I saw a lot of the corruption and there was a lot of political maneuvering. As a kid? Yeah, as a kid, as a kid, I was already politically involved and really attentive. I picked up on a lot of things and, you know, my background, the family, my family's background, they come from, you know, they're indigenous native people and they're like barely coming out from the village. They're barely coming out from the ranch, you know. So we're, it's not we have a big experience with, with metropolitan affairs or with politics or anything. It's just that I felt like at that time my mind was a sponge and all the adults were concerned and stressed and worried. My parents were fighting. So economic choices, political decisions, they affect family members. They hurt individuals. So Going down to the wire myself, I looked at all the depression and the people generally were demoralized. So I was wondering what that was all about. And then my mother sat me down and she said, look, Hector and, you know, my fellows, my siblings as well. uh, Things are getting really tough and, you know, we might not be together for a while, but I have to go to the United States and find out, you know, what's up there. And if we have an opportunity to make it and do something about that. Wow. It broke, it broke my heart because, I mean, I'm, I'm eight years, uh, I don't know how old at that time because I went without my mother for a year or two. And it, it could be six or seven, I don't remember. Who, but So where I, did, who did you stay with and who took off again? My mother took off and I had to stay, off, stay with my dad. And that was not a fun experience. But the, the whole wow. general course of events is that economic, political forces caused a lot of issues and it broke my family because the main factor that broke up splinter my family was based on economic woes, but it also was based on psychological trauma that has a lot to do with different things. So Anyways, would you say just, right there on, on that is the reason why your dad's state is to hold the economic uh, household and it's like, all right, mom is going to take the chance to survey the lands above per se. How would you 
Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, definitely. That was sort of like the division of labor, I guess, if you want to be funny. <laughs> and I forget, yeah, no, like, you know, that's a that's a big risk to just take off. I mean, what part of Mexico? San Luis Potosí. It's the, the capital city. Millions of people live there. And uh, it's a big city. How many and, miles or yeah. hours would you say like a drive would be from like to, from the border? 14 of the hours. Ooh. 14 hours. Because I've done that before. I've, I've taken a road trip back to Laredo, Texas, all the way to San Luis Potosí, Mexico. And it's like 14 hours. And it's a big, long trip. Yeah. But, you know, just to finalize the, finalize the thing, you know, definitely my mother took the chance. She came back. It, the family was a mess. You know, I had a lot of trauma. And we just, you know, crossed the, you know, crossed the border, the Rio Bravo. And, you know, and I went through the, to the Rio Grande Valley and I, the Rio Bravo. And that's, that's the story, really. It was open, y'all wide dro- spaces. Yeah, drove out and boom. Well, we had to find uh, different people to transport us there. And then we were in Nuevo Laredo and we we're in the middle of the night looking for coyotes and, or, you know, people who smuggle individuals into the frontera, into the border. And, you know, we paid someone an amount of money and they, they were basically just guides and they were just telling us what the blind spots of the Rio, uh, the Rio Grande was. Rio Bravo, Rio Grande, you know, either to me, these names are interchangeable. I just know that the, the, the river was very strong. The night was dark and the sky was purple and fully lit of, of stars. It was very wonderful just to look up and be like, wow, there's a new beginning, a new chance. And, you know, again, knowing these things in the political background because again I, I saw the corruption i saw all that that was still in my head and then i w- go to united states you know the the, the better uh, the, the better united states the united states of america supposedly oh, yeah. right yeah. and i am looking at it and looking at the same political corruption but i am so believing wanting to believe in the american dream it's like no there must be we can here in the united states you can buy a, a big old bag of cheetos for a dollar and have a cookout every other weekend and nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to steal your stuff and things are great. No, things are going to get better. That was during the George Bush uh, presidency. That was during his presidency. And I remember the whole invasion of Afghanistan, of Iraq, of even I remember the Twin Towers collapsing and all that. You know, I was in fifth grade and all throughout I was paying attention. And I think that's just what helped me look beyond the political, you know, division of the left and right, you know, because if you, mm. if you ask, okay, just to finish the story, cause I'm going crazy with it. No, it, keep ask, going. We're having fun. Depending on who it is, depending on who it is, you know, if you say, well, you jumped the border illegally, that's a crime. Okay. Definitely. If you say that to someone, they will be like, oh my God, you're so racist, misogynistic, whatever. But, or, you know, you're defending a political structure that is misogynistic, racist, patriarchal, and it's bad. You should feel bad. But I take it all the way. I was like, exercising my natural rights, you know, natural law, the basis of the Constitution, supposedly the Constitution only enshrines or basically reminds the government that these are our natural rights that cannot be alien. They cannot be removed without due process, according to the Constitution. But even then, again, I don't necessarily believe a lot of the propaganda that people would like to put into immigration. It's a bigger, complicated picture and I don't necessarily feel guilty or ashamed or I should feel bad. But right now, my legal status is very different. Before, traveling, being part of society was very difficult. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we all do what we can and we'll take the chances that we can. But ultimately, I, I don't feel like I need to be a token minority for the left. 
I don't feel like I need to be a token minority for the right. I'm a natural man and I exercise my natural rights and I'm going to continue pursuing freedom and make sure that my family comes first. And if anyone doesn't like it, then, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to ignore it. Like right. I, every, like everyone else ignores the freaking federal reserve and everything else. Okay. <laughs> That's the rant right there. Well, you know, how much does that momentum of experience ties into perhaps let me ask you like this. Uh, how did you start? Did you start a Laredo free thinkers and why? Well, I started several other groups before then. So I had some experience, but the background please knowledge. Share. Please share yeah, about those. I, I, yeah. There was Laredo Citizens Against Corruption. I was uh, an integral part of that. And what there was year? Man, all of it was journey, dude. Time. <laughs> is, you have to look at my video, uh, YouTube, memoirs, whatever videos Under that I have. Under president, perhaps I could kind of gauge the memory. Uh, shoot. It was Obama's first term. It was okay. Obama's first term. 08, 09. Yeah, about that time. And, you know, I was getting out of high school and I was doing some other things. Okay. But it was yeah. it was like a year or two later after I got out of high school, 2009, 2011, around that time. Okay. I was getting more active and I was doing more underground uh, investigations, trying to find the story. But I the I forget the names, the, uh, the, the gentleman's name, the, guy, the victim who got murdered by the police 80, and got shot 80 times. As a result of that, I created the Laredo Citizens Against Corruption. And I had other student uh, activist uh, groups in Laredo Community College will be at the kiosk passing pamphlets and things like that. And that didn't really go anywhere. And when it, we actually did create a group, it was for, to demand for the political people in the Laredo area to make decisions happen. So, I mean, I was still at the very early stages of my activism thinking, oh, if we get people together, we get them to you know, be on, on the awareness level and we have a propaganda, propaganda is a neutral word, and a program and all this other stuff, things will mobilize, things will come fluid and laws will change. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, it's not that it's not that straightforward. It's a multidimensional issue whenever you're dealing with power. And anyway, so that fell through. It fell through because I didn't stand up to the leadership. I didn't actually did what I felt was right. I let other people take initiative and let them do what they needed to do and what they thought was right. And however, as experienced and as wise as I was at that time, even for, you know, it's not nose 20 year old, whatever, I still felt like, man, it can't just be people getting together, demanding action from politicians. It has to be much bigger than that kept researching, traveling, doing the journalist thing. And then I noticed that there was a a project called the the Free Thought Project. You know, they do a lot of police corruption, police brutality uh, articles, and just how to live a freer life. Anyways, they were part of a deeper, larger network of libertarian, mutualists, if you don't, uh, different persuasions of political philosophy that are not just the left and the right, but mostly libertarian. So, these people had other networks and there was a network called the Houston free thinkers. And I would have, I would have gone to Houston. I've gone to Houston to do a lot of the meetups and help with the activism there. We demonstrated, demonstrated against uh, the torture of, you know, prisoners from, you know, the different areas of CIA secret incarceration sites. And it just in general against waterboarding, you know, we went, yeah, yeah, exactly. Those they were there. It's not just 
the ones in Cuba. There's different other ones. And, you know, the name and details escape me, but it's all verifiable if you actually want to go through with it. But the point of it is we're, there was a lot By the of way, anyone who uh, wants to know about that, please write, write that down in the, in the, in the comments below so that we can touch base on this on a return on in conversation, as you were saying, Houston. Right. It'll look me up on YouTube, Hector combo, or, you know, there are, I have a lot of the reports here and oh, a lot great. of the evidence there. So it's not just me talking, there's videos and I'll share some of the links that people can follow with my content if they want to. Anyway, I appreciate so, what you do, by the way, you actually go through where you're sourcing from and you're unpacking from what you're reading from. So anyone who is interested, I'll, I'll be sure to replug that in uh, at the end, but certainly uh, stay tuned on that. You're saying Houston. Well, I, th- I appreciate you complimenting me, complimenting me on that. I've been on hiatus for a while and I'm just retooling. Anyways, but yeah, with I, I just observed a lot without being completely attached. And I noticed that the Houston freethinkers were doing something much more than just getting together, writing notes and planning out how we're going to speak to the media and the politicians and all of that useless stuff that didn't go anywhere, that only got us death threats, that only got people upset and never actually got anywhere. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it's just part of the process. It's part of the process. I'm not even like, I'm not trying to get someone to be my personal army. I'm just saying it's part of the process. You start messing with people's idols they get really upset because they're really attached and they don't know anything else besides their attachment. So that's why they are so conflicted with their own psychology. I think that's but, just okay, a lot so, about your experience in human and that it's a, that I was going to ask you, uh, I'm going to ask you later, what are some takeaways? What, what are some learning lessons you've taken along the way? I'll put a pause on that question, but I think you're answering it uh, already at that, you know, you know, anyone receiving a death threat or anything, anything that's alarming and threatening, Especially initially, it can come across as uh, I need to stop this. I need this. That's the uh, that's my cue out of here, right? And f- your handling of that uh, from your experience, the way you're describing it, uh, I think that's a very important uh, offering of perspective, uh, as, as you were saying. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a good connection. It's good insight. You know, we got to remind ourselves that we're human and we also matter, and it just goes beyond politics. You know, anyway, the thing is that I observed that the Houston Freethinkers and other decentralized networks or freedom cells that try to live outside of the box as well and embrace life, uh, they were doing something much more interesting. And I took note of that. And I kept going to the meetings and following, you know, someone uh, I felt like inspired me in a way, different uh, leaders in the libertarian movement and, you know, quote unquote leaders, because everyone is their own leader. But, you know, there were very there were focal points of someone who was speaking about philosophy. There was just so many names. I don't want to exclude anyone. So just take any name that you want and go with it and do your own research. That's what I did. And learning from all this stuff and going to different conferences like Anarchapulco, uh, Porkfest and, you know, Bitcoin uh, rallies and festivals and uh, sort of concerts and meetups. You start listening and hearing from a lot of different people who live alternative lifestyles and know different solutions, and you don't actually have to participate in the established set of political quote-unquote solutions. Anyways, so then I go back to Laredo with all this information after traveling, going to different places, and I noticed to myself, like, I still want to do something, and I don't want to be a focal point or a quote-unquote leader. I want to create leaders. I want people to see something say something and do something about it, not see something, wait for a politician or an authority figure to solve it for you. And that's how the Laredo Freethinker started, really, because 
when I started thinking about the Houston Freethinkers, it was it's not like it was a label that particularly was owned by them. No, it was a, a free thought idea. It was all up in the air, like freedom. You know, it's for everyone to grab. And so the Laredo Freethinkers started. 2012. Yeah, around there. Yeah, around 2012. Like I'm telling you, man, my idea of time is very different. So oh, my yeah, for sure. Just for any listener to kind of gauge, you know, you know, where you're coming from and, you know, and perhaps they could even look at their own library of journey. And I was like, what's going on in 2012? You know, what was life like? Where, was, where, where were my eyes at that time? So uh, I thought I'd throw that in there. But you're saying. No, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad you do. It's a good balance. It's a good balance. Yeah. Around that time. And, you know, still wondering about the whole conspiracy movement, libertarian movement, or just in general, the freedom movement. And around that time, I'm looking at other nationwide headlines. And 2012, midway, 2013, around that time, there was a very, uh, it was a nationwide attention on this particular uh, act of kindness, which was feeding the homeless. And there was, it was called Operation Feed the Homeless. And it was at the focal point was this old 90 year old veteran in Florida, I believe, who was running a food kitchen for years and years. This guy has been running a food kitchen for for homeless individuals. I forget his name. I wish I can bring it up. But anyway, in this individual. Yeah, in Florida, he, he was a 90, 90 year old veteran in Florida. Google it. Duck, duck, go start page, whichever you prefer. And then go and find out, like, this man was accosted by the police for no reason particularly than just uh, not having the proper uh, permit. You know, imagine having to ask permission to give out food for free, you know, in a public area. And, of course, you go down to the details, and it, there's a lot of you know, bureaucratic legalese. There's a lot of, oh, well, he was not following proper health codes or this. And it's just excuses because, in reality, you know, they were just upset that this guy was – creating a lot of public attention and bringing in homeless people to a undesirable location. That's just, may, it. I, may I share a thought? Is it fair yeah, for someone? Is it fair for someone to wonder, uh, you know, what if someone does, or maybe there have been concerns where, you know, people do get food poisoning or do get sick or perhaps gotten really sick where maybe it's almost, almost fatal. Or I doubt that that's the case. Cause I'm sure that's something you would have heard about, but, uh, is that, is that a fair concern for someone to bring up and perhaps even press upon a, a higher power authority to, to, well, let's go down the, the regulations that are, uh, set in place to be able to, well, technically the guy is not following the regulations. And if, if the guy wants to continue this, uh, this expression, this doing this act, uh, these regulations have to be set in place and they're not. So according to law, it gives us the authority to shut it down. I'm curious what comes to mind for you on that thought. There's about 20 different points, but I'm going to condense it to a couple of of them. First is consensual, voluntary. If you choose to do an activity, it, it implies a certain type of risk. If you choose to go drive, there's implies a risk. Even with the regulation that is ongoing in the food service industry, there's major E. coli, there's major, there's all these different outbreaks. And the regulators are in cahoots with the big corporations and big tech, big food. All of them can surpass all these laws that are meant to keep the threshold of businesses who are trying to actually do something or just any individual who's trying to do something higher than it's achievable. In other words, it's one set of laws for us and another set of laws for the people who have lawyers. But in 
I understand people's concern that they want to have a third party being an arbitrator who makes sure that things are safe, fair, and just. Unfortunately, what my work has shown and my experience and just my research, I've written about this severely, is that the first is the philosophical idea. It's based on utilitarianism or the idea that it's about the most good or, you know, or the most right, you know, whatever calculation of good that you have based in government action, it has to be dependent on force. We have the authority that in, that in other words, says that you have the authority just by virtue of getting together in a group that virtual consent means nothing, but the third party arbitrator or the utilitarian government that is supposed to protect us from all these things that he doesn't even do it you know, are going to just say no to this one person who's been doing it and people has been, have chosen freely on their own consent to do it, and the risk is theirs. But again, we can flip the script and say this on the other end. So if people are concerned that they're going to get sick and that they're going to get you know, food poisoning, then they should not go. They should not do that. That's their voluntary action. That, that, but, but why is it not a universal? Why is that? concept not universally accepted so if it's okay for people choose not to go in and take food and because they might get sick then i think it is also okay for people to make food and give it for free and if others choose to take it then that's their responsibility and they accept the consequences and i know it sounds like a cold bare minimum calculation but if you really think about it in a psychological way if you really think that trying to help other people and you want to help other people then don't use force. Don't use coercion because that's what government is. What George Washington said, you know, he said that government is just force. It's, it's, it's a fire. You, you want to tame it. You want to control it. But the political milieu or the just people's idea of what government is, it has taken a choice away from the individual. You take away choice from the individual, even if you want to protect them, you're essentially making the situation a lot worse, which was exactly what happened. So if the reaction of government was effective, reasonable, scientific, practical, then it would just shut it down and the, the United year old man would not have found any support. People would just be like, yeah, he deserves it, whatever. Some people were like that. However, what it really inspired was a bunch of different activists from different groups of different people to feed the homeless. And so did I. I, I didn't ask for permission. I'd ask for no regular, no nothing. Nada, nada, nada. I just went into the downtown area, brought a bunch of friends after having one or two meetings and said, we're going to give out food for free. And we discussed this issue. It's like, what if, you know, the police comes and tells us that, you know, we shouldn't be doing this because it puts people at risk. Like, okay, we can take precautions and make sure that, you know, food's safe, food's clean, or it's only, you know, packaged food items or whatever. So we have discussed that in the past with the people in the Operation Feed the Homeless. But ultimately, the philosophy is everything's consensual. We're trying our best to help our, our brothers and our sisters without trying to bring them a new costume or a new set of beliefs. And that was what is the major takeaway from this. Because you're not going to convince people of anything unless they're ready for it. Almost every community of any size in this state has a similar problem. And it's something everybody just has to deal with. You can't make it go away. Mr. Mayor, can I offer some input from the community? Yes, go ahead. Uh, yes, go ahead, please. Yeah, your name for the record, please. 
Thank you very much for acknowledging me. My name is Hector Cubillos, and I have addressed this issue on a practical sense. You can check out some of my work on uh, Lorena Morning Times. It says, uh, local group being proactive on hunger. And it's very true, the points that you've mentioned, there is no policy which you can address and say we're going to give these people a ticket and get them off the street. For the past year, I've been involved in what I called Operation Feed the Homeless. And in downtown area, there are some, a lot of people who are hungry, and it's not only men, it's women and children. So what we do is we pledge our money and our time to get together and give food to these people, clothing, books, whatever they need. We have the resources also when we have um, certain characters which we can really identify. We put them in a database where we can give them anything they need if we see them again. So we've been doing this for a year, and what we've noticed in the various cities is that it is very true what you're saying. It has to come from a proactive community. Well, I like to have the idea with you and share it with you. I've already worked on it for a year and I'm looking for resources. One step up from here, because people are trying to add here, subtract there, when we're not looking, everything. The Holding Institute, this is my idea and this has to do something larger than just giving them food. There are people willing, like Gabriel, I'll tell you about Gabriel. Personally, he said, I don't want to be in the streets. And I'm sorry, can I have your attention, please? Yes, please? It's very important. It's about the community. Okay, so the issue here is Gabriel he says, I don't want to be in the street anymore. I actually want to get up and have a good clothes on my back and go to LCC and register. Well, how can I do that when he doesn't have any attention? Yes, a lot of the charities are very good and they're very kind, but they don't meet all the needs that they, these people need. So what I was suggesting is have some resources from the city hall where we can get allotted space and get these people a resource where they can commute and learn. And it's very easy because the resources are already available. It's about information. So what I'm proposing as well is a community garden. And there's a return why as to community gardens don't work because there is no profit margin for these individuals. But if you give them the skills, the task, and the profit, they will return and they will better themselves. And I've seen these people come back again and again and they smile and they smile and say, well, Hector, if only people were, were a little bit like you. No, I don't want people to be a little bit like me. I want to be them themselves. Charity and compassion is a muscle. And if you don't flex it, it's gonna be a big issue. Now let's take the opposite connotation here. What happens in other cities like San Antonio? Well, San Antonio has tried to do the things that you guys are mentioning. What they've noticed is in fact, they've gotten such a bad PR that, I, I don't know if you guys heard of this, but it's called Chow Train. People have been arrested giving food to the homeless. People have been arrested for just helping the homeless. Is that the image we're trying to sell to other people outside of here? <coughs> Supposedly, we're in an international city, but this is what we're really thinking about. And I know you didn't su yet suggest that, Mr. Pete Sines, but it's the trend. It's a political trend that is really going really bad. And I personally will vouch my time and energy to meet with every single individual and I'll show you your districts like you've never seen it before from the people on the land walking the very same shoes that they can't share with you because they're too torn. They won't be walking on the same streets as you are. And on the other places that we're mentioning, Del Mar, all these places, you've noticed it, that these are very populous business areas. Well, because that's where the food and the money is at. So if we designate other areas and environments where it's free and open for them to continue, it's possible, it really is. So I'm really looking for what you're gonna be responding to and I'll be here just waiting for my reply. Thank you so much. So mm. the, the reason I don't wanna just go 
killing your point because I don't think it, it's a moot point. I think there are people who are concerned with it. it there you is know, a question out in the air that will that the people will wonder of. Sure, mm-hmm. but it, it, the, 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 I think what uh, to your point is uh, that here's a response to that question. The response is, I think it's naive to believe that there is a government authority who can keep you safe. And I think it's other alternatives that we can use outside of authority figures to find out the reality for ourselves. And we can use common sense and we can have other regulatory practices. For example, the if you really think about it, the non-GMO verified projects, that, that's a voluntarist, that's a voluntarist action right there. No one talks about it because it's just market action. It's just market activity. It's People just being normal. It just, it just fit in into everyone's grocery store all of a sudden. Is that what you're saying? Well, not all of a sudden, but it it but it happened with a lot of individuals uh, working together and not asking permission from politicians. And they, the non-GMO verified, I haven't updated myself on it. I, I still think that there are some other uh, companies that don't do a very good job and or other businesses that can do a better job. But from what I understood is they, they analyze different food products and different uh, additives, and they say, this is verified by us. And that in itself didn't take any government agency. Problem is, we can fix all these problems that we have in society. It's just that we're relying on the wrong people, like government, to take care of these problems. Who so get there through s- means of communication and propagating certain images to essentially create a selling point and perhaps the propagation may be the things that people want to be, be uh, want to hear, which is like the GMO. Uh, you know, that's a good thing to support. Uh, but at the same time, there's all these other things that come along the way that perhaps inhibits the the intention that someone would be voting for them into power to do something about it, like the GMO thing. But you're also involving all these other factors on how they got into that position in the first place. When it could be like you said ourselves where someone could take it upon themselves to verify it. And I, I don't know the details on what that's like, but is that kind of along the lines? I would say that what you just said provoked that thought. Well, I'll say it this way. Freedom is work. Freedom is responsibility. I know, I know it sounds contradicting and you can look at the, at different, <laughs> cause I don't, it sounds really bad when you say freedom is work, but it really is. You have to actually find out for yourself what reality Living is, is work. Basically, there you go. Living is work. And it takes work to be a good person. It takes work to be a bad person. But freedom is responsibility. And people don't want to hear that. But in just in general, how I believe society should run, and I know it runs, it's not just an ideal, it's not just a belief, I've seen it, is that individuals with common sense or reason, their use of reason, however limited, and if they are learned and they're learned in their consequences of their actions and they pursue their authentic path, they'll bring a lot productive, valuable information, and they can be transformed into art, into material objects, technology, different ideas. But it's just the artificial layers of our personality that are conveniently, you know, serving the state, the economy, uh, the private corporations. These personas are allowable. In other words, it's okay for you to be entertained by video games endlessly. That's good. But do not be entertained by deeply philosophically challenging ideas that question all authority. That's bad for you. That's what I'm trying to say at, at this mm-hmm. point is that you have to go out, actually think for yourself and do the work for yourself. And then you'll find out 
oh, wow, so you're telling me that people working together and building solutions for themselves and communicating with each other and you know negotiating with each other is actually normal human engagement and it's actually the same thing that gives all these fruitful ideas and things of civilization? That's basically it, yes. It, it's just that we're not that advanced. Society is right now really neurotic, very psychotic, and that's what I've been involved with my other part of my work. Uh, I've hosted my work. Puberty. Yeah, well, that could be it. Yeah, that could be it. A transit, a very, very transmorphic uh, <laughs> exchange. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because you, you have that stereotype of the person who has the growth spurt, and all of a sudden they have all these sits, and you know, it's like you know, real bad stuff. You know, like yeah, yeah, pretty much. Or <laughs> you, they, someone who's a late bloomer comes into their full, you know, body, and they're experiencing something new. As a kind As of opposed thing, you know, to that, through the maturation of that transition is also a whole different experience of that same body or rather the, yeah. how the body, where the body came from in that moment. But all these other facets and uh, dimensions of your personality are to every experience has value. All individuals have value. We all have something to share and, you know, communicate and coexist. It, there, there is no, these ideas are not mutually exclusive responsibility and living life fruitfully and happily are not mutually exclusive. Being a universal f- with freedom, it does, it's, not exclude, it's not excluding anyone who has a particular belief system. That's what that's what's both parties don't understand on the left and the right. It's, there's, it doesn't even matter. It's all artificial you know, dribble. But the, pro- the point here is that these ideas between the left and the right, if we actually talk to each other and we actually embrace and do our own research, it's gonna be much more agreement than, the, than there is you know, disagreement. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you brought up the how you found out about that Florida uh, gentleman who was feeding the homeless through the lens of the miracle of the internet, right? As opposed to like if that happened in 1919 or what we'll say it was a 2012-ish. So imagine that happening in, in 1912 and here you are in Laredo. You know, how could it be possible that you know, someone like yourself could hear it, uh, find out about it. And what makes it like that hypothetical Hector Combo 1912? Uh, what's the difference between that person and the 2012 person who was able to access that awareness and able to create a, you know, uh, advocacy in Laredo feeding the homeless? That's a very interesting question because there's different dimensions to it. And one of them is that a lot of the political, socioeconomic issues are cyclical. And a hundred years ago, you know, in the, in the midst of the Great Depression, in the very beginning, you know, because it took a lot of years for it to build up and the bubble to burst, people, you know, took it for granted. But then later on, they started sharing food with each other, doing homeless, uh, uh, doing food drives and all this other stuff. So it might be different in the 1912s, but I would still be aware to the political situation because I would feel it in my wallet. I would feel it in my belly. I would feel it in my neighborhood. And one thing it will inspire me to do is to take action. And with the technological advancement of 21st, you know, postmodern society, we have sort of a jaded uh, look at things. And we think that, wow, this is the beginning of something great, or, you know, this is so new, this is a new phenomenon. We have to get into it, you know, be part of the trend. But, you know, compared to the 2012, when I saw it, I was like, well, this is a great opportunity to inspire people with a challenge. You think that you care about people. You think that you're about freedom. 
you think that you actually want to do something. Well, here's a challenge, Laredo. Here's a challenge, my neighbor. Come out here, help your fellow man, and don't preach to them. Just let them be and embrace them as they are. And that's what I did. You know, I, <laughs> I told people, you know, if you want to eat, I oh, got to hug me. That's the problem here. Yeah, that, that's really what we did. We, ha we had huggins. We had all that stuff. But we didn't put it as a focal point. It was just part of the magic of the moment. So the ma magic of the moment. Are you being saying is that, that if you want this food, you have to give me a hug? Is that what you're saying? Like kind yeah, of was, like the spirit? Being, yeah, I was just being cheeky. You know, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. do want something. I do want something from you. And I want a hug. I want, I want, I want to talk to you. That's what I want from you. I'm not being dishonest. I'm not trying to tell you, oh, you have to play nice and then you'll get your food. No, I meant it more like, hey, man, you're a human being, too. And we got a seat for you here at the table. And that's the kind of the spirit of humanity. That, that is the spirit of humanity. And that's the magic moment of all timelines in history is that we get conflicted. We get divided. We get frustrated and we fight with each other. And then the economic downturn, the political turmoil happens and it flips a switch. And either the individual who's there acts like a zero or stands up and be a hero. That's that's really what it is. So in the past, I think people, you know, there are a lot of unsung, unspoken heroes that, you know, led a life of peace and love and prosperity. But you don't hear a lot of that Hollywood corporatism tell the world about it. But I it's think the, it's know, the it, massive projection. That's what Hollywood is. Definitely. It's, it's a deep occult religious mafia. No, but definitely, uh, I, I just think people will have to find a spirit of freedom or at least embrace their individual drive to be something more than just the material. Because if they get stuck in this idea that this timeline is the worst and that there's nothing else, it's all an accident, there's no purpose, there's no meaning, then you're essentially giving up and you're letting other people write your story for you. And, you know, as an existential person, I like to think that the best thing you can do is write a story about your life because that's what you're doing. You know, you're the ink, you're the paper, you're the whole character, you know, and you're the I viewer. It, exactly too. So you're your own audience. So you're going to be the one judging yourself when you're transitioning to the next phase of life. And uh, yeah, I think in the past, just in 1912, I might've actually done something as well. And uh, we don't know, but I'm just, you know, I'm just going along here for well, the let ride. Me ask you, let me ask you this before I share with you a poem, and I want to see where that goes for you, and you're welcome to take it anywhere. Before I share that, uh, the question that comes to mind is, what would you say are key takeaways that have refined your lens into today uh, from your experience, but most especially within yourself? Key points that have refined your lens really? into viewing today's uh, day uh, viewing view uh, takeaways from okay. that. Yeah. And, but especially refined lens in looking at yourself. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm just kind of like ruminating with the question because there's, there's one, but it's not very pretty and it's not something that people will like to hear if they just found out about the big conspiracy or the big government bad, you know, <laughs> government sucks and society sucks. If you're just finding out about this, you're going to hear like I'm being pessimistic or I'm thinking that there's no solution. No, I think the biggest takeaway from my personal life, de dedicating 10 plus years of this pursuit of truth is that people choose to do what they want. And if they're in a bad situation, 
it's not because they don't choose it. It's because they, a part of them really embraces one aspect of it. And a primary, primary, like a really good example of this is if an addict, I think is a really good example. Their situation gets worse and worse and worse, even after they continue getting a fix. And after a while, it's not even about the fix. It's about the ritual behind the fix. And they choose that situation because it's a lot harder for them to deal with the emptiness or the sadness or the pain, the trauma, and letting it go. So they choose to create an addiction or a habit that relieves them or makes them cope with everyday life. Uh, that's something to really understand at a larger perspective in society, because that's what a lot of us do. And the other takeaway is that abstract concepts, you know, people don't fully understand what friendship is. We just take it for granted. And we don't investigate these everyday words that we use. The language is a limiting factor in our everyday life. It's a very good tool, but it's a dual-edged sword in that it gives you the words that you need to exp language. Any language has words, concepts, you know, mannerisms that people express and become rituals and routines. And these habit forming behavior can create an evolutionary psychology that is specifically located for particular people. In other words, you know, we just repeat the same thing that our, our parents heard, and then we continue living the same roles that they, they have. Well, my dad was a mechanic or my dad, you know, he had a many, many children. So I will do too. And we don't question these things and these habits create these pockets of huge blindness and confusion. And that is what allows for corruption and tyranny and just all these other stuff that is counterproductive to human development to take place. Uh, if to think that to think of ignorance, vice, greed, anger, all of that as a sort of a manure, uh, a substrate in which all of the evil comes about from reality. That's a good way to start, but that um, pain, that sorrow, that trauma is that that fertilizes and it poisons our mind. That's if we don't let it go, and that's what you know what we project into the world. So a lot of it is deeply spiritual, what we see in this world, and a lot of it has to do with our psychology. Whatever way you want to look at it, what we see is not the whole truth. And how we perceive reality is what we believe to be true. But there's a bigger, much grander scheme of things. And in order to tap into yeah, that- what we can see, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to cycle down the drain with this, but it's is it that this major point loses itself in all the diluted stuff that people really want to be attached to. That's one thing. And the other thing, we're all going to be free and we're all going to have a really good life, but it's not going to be televised on television. And it definitely is not going to happen with everyone all involved. The, the future is going to be very different. The future is going to be decentralized. That's the major takeaway here. Let me share this poem, and unless you have, if you unless you concluded what you were saying, you no. I, I mean, I always have a point, man, and I I, I just think you know we're we're gonna repeat this event. You know, you and I are gonna talk, and there's some more opportunities for that. So let's go flow with your poem. Break break it down. Here's the flow, y'all. This was written on Friday. The it was Friday the thirteenth, actually, eleven eighteen p.m. And it was refined the following day. So let's see. What comes to mind? Hector Combo. How incredibly far removed could we have 
become from a noticing of the invisible presence of peace on the streets. So far removed, what's actually on our minds in you know today's history as we witness its second to second post by how distant of a blur now of that highly anticipated anticipated crossing of a date you know the election right now it's the the 15th and that was the third could you believe that how far removed are we right now from the encroachment and the moment to moment arriving of a reality the likes of which we will come to realize we are all facing together no matter what affiliation no matter what perceived opposition no matter how we view how we receive the information all facing together what comes to mind? What comes to mind, again, to hit on what you're saying, what is unfolding, it depends on the people, the person, the time. And ultimately, beyond that, how are we going to perceive something that is fractured? How are we going to look beyond a broken mirror? And the healing is important. And, you know, because the election being part of this fracturing between two op opposite sides that are just the same. The question is, do you think that the next chapter of humanity is going to be all in one, one for all? Or are we going to decentralize and go our separate ways and find different alternative lifestyles? Like, what do you, what future do you see? What I see... What comes to mind for me is the lens of check on thy neighbor versus, oh, I'm on my own quest. You know, you get your degree and you get your job, you get your career and you got to make sure you got your, you got your, you know, your things in order as though that was the most important thing. And, and, and it's not to negate its value. It's certainly not. But I wonder what is of utmost even more value of that lens, which is in reality, okay, who's around me? You know, what's, what's going on around me? How are my neighbors? How are they doing? Is this a situation that, how am I doing personally that can be of relevance to my neighbor and what's around me where what's happening could be of, not only of service for my, my own expansion and growing and self-refinement, but for that to continue on to others. Because ultimately, it's also my neighborhood. So I think whatever that form that, that uh, I don't know how exactly that's going to take the shape, of course. Now, I'm trying to figure myself out. But certainly, there's going to be that invisible grid of checking on thy neighbor, love on thy neighbor, treat on thy neighbor uh, like the way one wants to be treated or ought or would appreciate being treated. The value of that would, I think, be recognized far beyond what's your resume? 
you know, who did you work for? You know, uh, you know, who, who's signing your recommendation letter, you know, uh, and perhaps even to some degree, there's maybe there a, 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 there's going to be a realized value to, okay, where are you from? You know, you know, one could say something, but really where are they from? Yeah. Like they're actually going to care <laughs> instead of just asking, Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you mean. No, I definitely think that with a pandemic, the lockdown, people are reevaluating their priorities. And I think some individuals are getting closer to their friends and their family. They're going out. And I see, I see it more often. Maybe it's because I live in a small state, small town, but I see people more communicating and talking with each other, you know, outside of just looking at their phones. Sometimes it's different for other folks. You know, they don't even care for each other. They're very abusive and bullying each other. And it's, I'm not just talking about not calling people by their proper pronouns. No, I'm no, no, actually no. being vindictive and hostile. And I mean, it goes in a major way. I just want to clarify that a lot of us are, have a lot of pent up frustration and anger and depression is just rage turned inward. And we've been so angry with reality and society for such a long time. We've now is coming down to the wire. So it's like, in other words, to really get to the focal point, the lens here, is that everything, the madness is being revealed. For the last 20, 30, 50 years, mm -hmm. the method Reveal. to the madness, yeah, the, the method to the madness was exposed and talked about in different ways. But now the madness itself in society, in government, in different areas of life is just totally mad. And people are ask, asking questions. That's really good. That's nothing negative. But I honestly believe if we unplug from the whole political fiasco and the theater that's going on right now and theater. Like you were saying, yeah, like you were saying, um, going outside of this movie and talking to our friends and neighbors, that would be so much better for society. I uh, just as a exponential point. Yeah, definitely. I interrupted. Go for it. No, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm just trying to figure out, like, do you think in general? From your perspective, from the people you're talking about, what what is the feeling you, you're getting? Are people getting more doubled down? Do you think that people are actually going to reassess I'm their, viewing their both. perception? I'm viewing both. Yeah, certainly, the doubling down. There's a magnitude. Uh, there's a there's a raised magnitude of of an ex ever re, internal reflection of. Other things outside of what is being said of the information, like for yeah, example, yeah. like I could be raising a question of, you know, I don't remember what the situation is. I should look. Uh, I should go back and reference my own post, Chios, and uh, someone who I've shared good talks, you know, shared class with, and you know, uh, I, I would consider a, a a friend, right? Was certainly expressing. Uh, high intense animosity on me and I, because I know the guy and I just received it for what it is. Look, you're, you're angry and you can call me names or whatever. And how are you doing? How are you, how are you feeling? You know, I, I'm, I'm just recognize. I'm, it looks like I feels like I'm looking at things from where what's underneath what is being said. And I say that from, one lens of just Facebook display, you know, the movie. Yeah. And the other one is actually being out and about as a musician uh, playing at, you know, outdoor venues and 
families come out, kids are out and, and the, the vibe is, of course, it's like, let's do the thing, right? Let's do the thing that we have to do because ultimately we don't know. I have family who have been sick and that's been not pretty for them. And, and I know many people have experienced that too. And, you know, everyone has their perspective on that, but nonetheless, there's this big question. So watching, watching the, the venues, um, I could be on the microphone and I can say something like, which is very interesting. I, I'm going to see if I can pull rein in the memory. So this was an outdoor venue and uh, outside in front of the stage, there was a, like a fake grass, like a uh, mat, like tar mat. Uh, what, what's it called? Uh, like fake grass. That, they made it look like football. It was like a football field. AstroTurf. Uh, AstroTurf. There you go. Um, and, and I remember saying like, you know, you know, how's everyone doing tonight? This and that. Come out to the dance floor and look at this football field. Uh, you know, giving a shout out to the owner. Uh, for you know creating that space and and then I made a comment and I noticed there was a sudden silence. <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. oh, and it was you like, you know, it, it, yeah, it was it just it just popped and there's a silence. It was just a small comment, but it was an acknowledgement, a uni- universal noticing. It was uh, come out to uh, the this uh, beautiful football field we have here. And by the way, let's think about this. When was the last time we've really culturally thought about? who's playing tonight? You know, who's, who's playing what's something like that. I'm butchering it, but it was uh, to the degree of acknowledging notice how we don't talk about sports anymore. And the hot topic that's equivalent to what used to be all the Cowboys, all screw the Cowboys, you know, whatever. It was the, the big question, really what's going on. That is true. That is a universal noticing of its absence and instead is the question of who's going to win and who should win or who should not win is the, the yeah, it's a new football. It's a new football. And, and I just immediately turned it around. I was like, because you know, that, that wasn't the situation, but at the same time I was like, Oh, that was fun. Be sure to come out to the dance floor and get moving or something like that. Uh, it was very interesting. And I've, you know, I've taken some cruises downtown just to see, uh, What's it like? How are, are people out? And certainly there's a there's there's a cultural witnessing uh, of the sidelines of like, you know, no one's telling us anything. You know, let's do the safe, the safe thing. But at the same time, you know, the world did shut down. And these are the things that could not happen. And here we are been doing it for now months and we're just going to continue doing it. And just we're just going to be safe about it. And we're just going to, you know, we're just watching this big, big display play out. And we're just going to be, you know, having a good time along the way. And I would describe it like that, which I would say to me feels good because people are not uh, allowing an external entity to dictate a reality that would suggest stay at home and nothing else, Uh, which respectfully, I do know people who should be, concern of their health because of their underlying conditions, uh, um, whatever that may be, it, you know, are staying at home. And yeah, I can't speak for them. I can only speak for myself and what I'm seeing and, and my own observations. I'm not sure if I'm being clear, but I would just. No, you are. I, I understand. You know, it's a very controversial, very sensitive topic. And, you know, I'm not a foremost authority on anything. You know, I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I'm just a regular guy like you, you know, we like to be curious observers. 
So the thing is, we have to find our spirit. And it's a Kung Fu way of looking at freedom for me personally. And I've talked with other individuals that are very principled about this. But I've written an article about this sometime before. And it's more of a existential parental article. So long story short, there is a park here that was closed down because of the government guidelines behind the coronavirus fear pandemic. Whichever perspective you wish to look at it, we're just simply talking about the government guidelines. Now, the government guidelines made the park, you know, be closed off by yellow tape and off, you know, I've off. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, all of that, you know, that no, it, hands off, you know, don't be around that. And I was with my daughter and my partner, and we have a different perspective, a very outside of what people believe. And, you know, without masks, and we're at this park. But, you know, let's get, you know, well, yeah, that's the main reaction. And I understand people's, I have sympathy for people who are afraid of things. Not, I'm not going to deride them and make them feel like less than. I mean, I'm afraid of the unknown as well. But here's the thing. It, it didn't produce anger in me. I didn't start wearing a MAGA hat and start telling people that they should feel bad for voting or believing or whatever the hell. No, because I understand that this is a nuanced, complicated situation. And it actually benefits those that really are the technocrats, the, the really the ones that control society and engineer public opinion. It actually benefits them to have the left and the right to be fighting against each other. If you're turning against your own family and friends and your neighbor because of their political fantasy, neighbor, you know, yeah, it's kind of effed up. So in the article, uh, I said, you know, the spirit finds a way. And it goes back to a shamanic way of looking at reality is that we have to be, you know, fluid. We have to be flexible. We can't be just have a rigid armor all around us and be confined to the flesh. Yeah. And the masculine side of my persona would say, well, this is an abomination against my freedom. And, you know, this is really just theater. The feminine side of me says, of course it is. But what are we to do? Are we to spoil our whole Sunday, uh, rant away two or three hours, few to, you know, like few, <laughs> with no end in sight? Meanwhile, my daughter wants to play, have a good time. So that's yeah. the way we look at reality and freedom, spontaneous. We break the walls that are material, physical, you know, spiritual, psychological, just by the way we are, by being. So even if we were not able to play in the park, we played around the park. We played in, in around the yellow tape and, you know, left, lived our life happily making that memory. It's the kind of thing that you can experience as well if you detach or remove yourself from these artificial layers of personality. By artificial layers of personality is exactly what goes to your story, man. You know, because you're, you, you're talking to a crowd and you bring out a question, just throwing eyes at somebody's face. You shock them and you're like, what? What are you talking about? You're, you're, you're making this very real to me. You're asking me to answer a question. And when you're asking people to answer a question, you're not necessarily challenging them to conflict with their personality, but you're posing a fact, uh, opinion, an idea, a question, whatever that might be, that brings about something within themselves that is real and outside of the persona. That's, that's again, my a lot of the writing goes down to the pers- my current writing is existential psychological and if we really touch base with our humanity damn a lot of these things will be resolved so quickly but it's just you know 
And <laughs> this will be another rant for another day. <laughs> Anyways, you know, what are, what are you vibing with? Well, you know, I would say, where can people find your thoughts? Please share your plugs, all of them. Go for okay. it. Like I said, I've been on a hiatus, so a lot of my content... Uh, you just moved, is based- right? Yeah, I just moved, and I'm starting a new home life, and I'm a dad, and it's taking a lot of work, and I'm very happy for it. But if you want to look me up, find me on Combo, uh, Hector Combo on YouTube, and Backyard Chicken Farmer is the actual URL, youtube.com forward slash Backyard Chicken Farmer. <laughs> For a lot of my news, podcasts, videos, things like that. And if you want to look into my writing, you know, I go to places that don't censor me and that my content is not monetized to third-party corporations. So I chose The Hive. The Hive is a decentralized blockchain social platform. And I go by Dungeon Master 93 and on peaked.com or hive.blog. I'll give you the links here so you can post them. It's sometimes yeah, it gets I'll put, them, I'll put them below. And then Twitter, you By know, way, at ask, du- go ahead. Dungeon Master. Every time, I, every time I read that, it's like it's so it's so epic, man. Tell me more about that, real quick. <laughs> I wanted to play games, but I didn't really have much money. And my mom took me to the flea market, and she likes to go to the flea market on Sundays because there's a lot of stuff back when there was no government guidelines, right? In Laredo, and uh, yeah, in Laredo, the the big the, pulga, the that's, pulgas that's uh, by Mines Road, I think. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, there was a lady who was selling a bunch of like tabletop games and I saw Dungeons and Dragons. Like it was not even fully completed. It was just like a bunch of adventure cards and a couple of dice. I got it. And after that, it changed my perspective on fantasy play and I just loved it. And I've been playing ever since. And Dungeon Master is sort of just the persona. I'm not trying to be kinky here. It's just, yeah, <laughs> hey, it's kink it it's up. The dude. Persona. Kink it up. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's PG, PG 13 all the way. <laughs> yes. Well, you're, you're saying I interrupted the plug. Please keep going. No, it's cool. Uh, just Instagram. underscore dungeon master. That's, I don't do that. I don't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandpa. Uh, well, did I, you know, you did start one. I think you did. Right. You did open yes, it. I did. It's, it's zero activity, but it's it's a. Uh, <laughs> I think you have it open. Yeah, I, I I do. I have to actually like when I relaunch and retool, I I will get that Instagram and I'll be like, hey man, come on my show. I'm gonna grill you. <laughs> I'm gonna grill you about your opinions and say, oh, you're bad. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no man. Uh, and well, cool. you, let me ask this last question uh, sure. to conclude the day. What from your experience? Can you offer anyone listening, by the way, before I ask this question, if you've reached this point, be sure to hit that subscribe button. There's that notification bell that pops up. Hit that one that's more solid. That way, every time there's a next, there's the next curious observation, you immediately get that ping. And of course, there's something that looks like this that is gray. Do us a favor. Make that blue. You are welcome to smash it. Smash it all the way. Of course, until it stays blue, because if you do it twice, anyway. What can you offer to anyone listening that perhaps may, may find themselves on that? You know what? But on, on any ideological se- spectrum, uh, in perhaps deeply rooted, maybe one, one side can be like, you know, Trump's the best person ever. You know, he could do no wrong. And the other side may be, you know, you know, he's Hitler. He's Hitler. I saw something on CNN that essentially was creating the frame 
that he is Hitler. And thank goodness we got him out. Yeah. And anyone that's playing within the lens of those paradigms, what 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 can you offer to perhaps refine from towards just refine that play? Very poignant question because we definitely need to depressurize the whole political speech and the content of each other's arts. But ultimately, the individual is the most important agent in society. And if you yourself are concerned that there's a, a tyrannical man in office or that you, your god emperor is in office, whichever, you have to step back and analyze your particular projections of power or fear. Because it's not necessarily fixing the problem to begin with. And then secondarily to that, it's hurting you. It's how you see the world. And if you detach yourself and look at it from a philosophical, spiritual, psychological, historical point of looking at it, you start looking at it in a more sensible way because ultimately the power lies in your hands. And when you project that onto other people and make belief with other individuals that the end of the world is nearby. You have to look at histories in the past and question, wait, didn't they also thought that the end was near? Didn't they also think that they were the most advanced and sophisticated? With high conviction. Yeah, yeah, with heavy conviction. And so justifiable must... information that served it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, of course, there's corporate science, you know, or science as a client service to the government. You know, they told us that cigarettes were healthy because they had a bottom line to preserve. So it, these things are not new. And if you look at old 1950s, 1960s debates and old America, the old America that people worship, they were still debating about the same issues that they're debating today, police brutality. YouTube is an amazing window into that timeline. And if you look into these different congregations of individuals that challenge the authority of 1950s, 1960s, eventually nothing was done because the problem was much deeper, much more complicated, and political action resolves things immediately, yes, but unfortunately, that political solution eventually creates a bigger, deeper problem, a monster, if you will. In other words, if we project our power, our ignorance, and we worship our idols you know, outside of ourselves, and we don't self-actualize, what do I mean with self-actualization? I've written about this, and if you want to go more into it, the articles are the best place to go into. But by self-actualization is that you have to practice being yourself. When I meant that freedom is work is that freedom means that you have to practice on being yourself at all times, at all costs. I know it sounds like a diehard principle, but it's not. Be spontaneous, be fluid. It's the kung fu of freedom. If someone hates you, let it be. If someone hurts you, you have the ability to defend yourself or help others help you. The bigger picture here is that if you're going to manifest a better tomorrow, you definitely have to manifest that dream within yourself and make it attainable so that your soul actually feels like it's accomplishing something, your essence. It's not just about getting the better politician or getting the lesser of two evils. The world is much bigger than that. And if you go deeper into it, the major takeaway here is that we can all solve this. It all just takes a simple solution. Again, it's the Bill Hicks thing. It's all just the ride. We take the choice to enjoy life and embrace it all the way because it's all your time. It's all your energy. And you cannot give that away. And if you give that away, you're giving away your life. And no one is going to remember. No one's going to care. And that's the 
freedom of it. If no one's going to remember, no one's going to care. That means that you yourself are going to have to have more potential, more purpose, and more freedom in order to change that. Because being good is not a weakness. It's not bad. It's actually a lot of power. Being a good person takes a lot of work. And if you have that work, it brings about a tremendous synergistic effect. It's called natural law. And when you're in accordance to your self-actualized path and are not hurting others, everything is consensual, you're about love, freedom, peace in the whole sense of the word, and there's no exclusions, you will be rich forever. It will materially reward you. It's not going to be a fairy tale. Exactly. But it's not going to be a Disney movie. It's going to be life. And you have to work for it and you have to live it and embrace it. And man, I tell you, it's the freaking reward of of sleeping in your bed, having peace of mind, knowing that you're working towards a better future and that there's family that loves you. That means so much more. And if you don't have that and that doesn't mean much to you, there's always a lot more that you could do than just living by the moment and letting things pass. Because damn it, is it a beautiful life and I fucking love it and everything is going to be just all right. But we just going to have to let go of a lot of things. That's really happy crossing into the unknown hashtag awakening. And by the way, if there's anything along the lines, uh, as especially if you made all the way through the video here uh, and you felt resonance, think of someone, think of someone that, that you're, you'd be curious to see what kind of thoughts would be provoked of the thoughts that were, you know, shared here, the, the curious observations that were shared, ladies and gentlemen, have a good day. Peace. Shall blessings continue to flow through your home, su sangre y su corazón. Peace, brother. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>